Hey guys, welcome to this episode of The Real Guy Podcast. Today, Jeff sat down with the mayor of Fort Lauderdale, Dean Trantalis. After the incredible impact of our protest of the sewage leaks back in January of 2020, Mayor Trantalis was eager to talk about his plans to fix the devastating water quality issues that we've been facing here the past few months. Now previously, water quality and crumbling infrastructure were issues that our local leaders would rarely even address. Now it's become the number one priority on their agendas. We consider this a huge win for our network, and we want to thank all of you guys out there who've been helping us to get this far. Hope you guys enjoy this episode of The Real Guy Podcast, and run that dog. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Really glad you're in here. Um, everybody wants to know about uh, water quality and that kind of thing, and I do want to get into that today with you, but I wanted to get a little bit, a little bit more friendly with you. I mean, we got some time to spend on the boat. Uh-huh. Uh, you, myself, John Lowe's, it was a great boat ride. Um, got to, got to know you a little bit, but sharing the time with both Scott and John Lowe's, uh-huh. we didn't really get a whole lot of time to talk. Right. Wow. Watch what you say. <laughs> right. So got, somebody's watching us. Now that, uh, yeah, the audience, we got a serious lightning storm going on, but we're going to roll right through it and see how, how we make out. Thank God for editing. I mean, editing gets us through a lot of these things. <laughs> but anyway, Dean, what, what, what made you move to Fort Lauderdale and when did you get here? So I moved to Fort Lauderdale in 1982, probably before you were born. And uh, uh, That's a compliment. And uh, uh, actually, I had gone to law school in uh, St. Pete back in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I spent uh, two and a half years there going to law school, kind of went a little uh, early I wanted to get out of Florida. I thought the West Coast was kind of uh, dull and dreary. And a little sleepy over there. Very sleepy. For someone in their 20s, I said, this isn't for me. So that was my first experience in Florida. <laughs> and uh, so I went back north, stayed with my family, uh, and uh, started practicing law up there. And then uh, my roommate from law school said, hey, I moved to the East Coast, Pompano Beach. You're not going to believe what this place is like. It's totally different. Come on down. Uh, if you don't like it, you can leave. So I came down. I said, okay, I'll give it a year or two. In the meantime, I was applying for jobs in other places. And um, uh, and after I arrived here, stayed here a few months, I saw absolutely no reason to leave here. And I've been here for 38 years. And you just fell in love with Fort Lauderdale or yes. in Pompano Beach, actually, at the beginning. Well, at the beginning, I was in Pompano Beach for about the, the summer. I uh, uh, He had a one-bedroom apartment. And... Uh, he allowed me to sleep on a cot behind the sofa in his living room for three months, and I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And uh, um, so that summer, I uh, I lived with him, and then I moved to the beach, actually, a Leisure Beach condo. I rented a condominium over there on Birch Road for my first year here. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it was very nice. And uh, got to know the beach and got to know, you know, the, the folks. And uh, and it's been, uh, it's been great. Fort Lauderdale is uh, a great place. It's often, often thought of as the best kept secret because people come here and they don't even realize the, the beauty and the experience, and it takes a visit to, to really understand it. Now, being here from 1982, 
I mean, you got you got to see Fort Lauderdale Beach, the whole transition of it, what it was when people like yourself were attracted, you know, so much to be here, right. and what it is today. Would you call that prog- a progressive movement, or would you call that more of like how do you see that? Because well, it's so different. You know? It is. It is. And and all the big hotels, the name brands you see today, uh, of course, were not there at the time. Right. And. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm just a kid at the time and I enjoyed everything. Summers on the beach was, was hopping and I could see all the, uh, the pool parties from my, the balcony of my apartment. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be here and, right. uh, it was fun and it was, uh, very, um, you know, uh, carefree and, and everyone's having a good time to be in your twenties and to be in Fort Lauderdale was a good thing. So, um, but of course I was practicing law and, and I had to, uh, you know, take my career seriously. And, uh, so I found a balance, met a lot of nice, uh, friends and, uh, it's been, it was a great time. So, um, it wasn't until the early two thousands that I, that I decided to run for political office. Okay. Um, I was involved in, in issues politics, uh, from 1990, uh, I got involved with the uh, equal rights effort back in 1990 when um, we had a, an, a measure on the ballot so that we could add sexual orientation as a protected class at the uh, at the county level. Uh, we lost 60-40, um, but then the laws changed and we didn't really need to go out to the people to get that uh, measure voted in. And in 1995, the county commission voted seven to one, excuse me, six to one, to uh, to add it to their uh, to their ordinances. So. That really began my local involvement in politics, and uh, I continued to become more issue-oriented and candidate-oriented. And somehow in 2002, the, all the, um, the elements came together, and I said, I'm going to run for office. So that's when I decided to run for the city commission of Fort Lauderdale, and, and I won in, in uh, 2003, and I served one term. Uh, and I stepped down after one term. Um, for personal reasons, things going on in my family and so forth. So, uh, uh, but then I returned in 2013 and have been on the commission ever since. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, do you, uh, are you a fish eater? You eat fish? That's all I eat. You eat a lot of fish. <laughs> I eat a lot of fish. What's your favorite restaurants around town to get your fish at? Well, this favorite and, and affordable. They're all like. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a balance. <laughs> it's a balance. <laughs> but like, all right, give me your ca- your best casual spot well, and then your more fancy spot. This is spot. the thing. I don't really, you know, we're all a creature of, of doing things near our homes. So um, I look for places that are near my house and uh, I live in Poinsettia Heights and uh um, and so what's within like a half a mile is usually where I eat. Nice. So it could be on Wilton drive. It could be Jay Marks. It could be Jay Alexander's. It could be, um, sometimes I'll venture down to Las Olas. Um, and, uh, but most restaurants have a fish, uh, offering. So, uh, so no matter where I go, I usually order the fish. You order the fish. The reason I brought that up, I graduated high school with uh, Martha Bennett, who is a co-owner in Blue Moon Fish Company. Oh yeah, well that's a great place, and I always like to promote that place. I always give her a plug on the podcast. She did a podcast with us talking, and if you haven't heard it, you guys should. It is a blast talking about catering to the customers down there on the beach, and um, even though that our podcast is pretty outdoor oriented and a lot of fish heads and stuff, you know, listen to this thing, the Martha Bennett podcast with the Blue Moon Fish Company was our number one uploaded 
podcast out of 133 that we uploaded in the wow. last 12 months. So anyway, well, that's kind of a place you go for an occasion. It's a treat. Right. You know, they have great food, great service. Um, every so often, uh, we, when we celebrate birthdays in the office, someone gets to pick where they want to go. And recently we went to uh, Blue Moon Fish Company. Uh, I think it was last fall we went, sat out on the water. It's really a nice experience there. Yeah, it's a, it's the best. And um, Martha's great. And she was a, a big time favorite of the audience. So I always like to bring her up. The um, Now, obviously, um, the big thing that happened in the last six months was these giant sewage spills. Yeah, December. And um, could, could you kind of... Could you kind of explain to the audience, because you've been in politics a long time, how it ever got that way in the first place? And I'm not going back 40 years or 30 years right. or anything, but can we, like, maybe since this time you started in your political career in the last 15 years. Well, when I first became a commissioner back in the early 2000s, the infrastructure was really not a big topic. Back then, the big topic was overdevelopment, traffic, and trying to hold that back. Um, I did my best. Uh, as a commissioner at the time, as the beach commissioner, to do what we could to try to turn back the rapid pace of, of big development on the beach. I was never really, uh, I, uh, I, uh, um, I wasn't the type of person that, that uh, uh, thought that those big developments really did anything for the beach, uh, especially since uh, Fort Lauderdale is more of a laid back experience and, and you put those big monolithic uh, uh, hotels right on A1A and what happens create a shadow experience behind all those smaller motels and hotels uh, become um, diminished in right. many ways. Right. And I didn't, and I, and I hated that because I thought, you know, we're losing our personality as Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, the majority, you know, voted for all those. And, uh, um, and so we now have what we have today. Right. And, um, and, and so what we do is we try to understand, you know, where are we going from here? So when I returned to the commission in 2013, again, uh, the, we, were, we were coming out of the recession and no one was really building anything. Right. Uh, little by little, um, investors were coming to Fort Lauderdale and the beach itself was not so much the focus as it was downtown. Uh, we didn't have that downtown experience back in the early 2000s. So um, we were focusing, how are we going to develop the Flagler Village area? Okay. And that became the focal point. And the previous commission um, pretty much gave carte blanche to any developer that wanted to build in the downtown in the what they call the regional activity center. Right. And that's what you're seeing today. Most of those projects that you received built or in the, in the process of being built at this point were decisions made before the current commission. So, um, so my goal, if I ever approved the building or wanted a building to go forward, is really uh, uh, the purpose was to establish more affordable housing. I, I, I voted for more affordable housing projects. Believe me, I did that. Uh, so, uh, uh, so to me, affordable housing was the most, is the most important thing right now. And because we have a lot of market rate housing and I'm afraid uh, we may have saturated the market, but investors t still keep coming to Fort Lauderdale. They see, they see the market uh, opening up more and more. So, um, so that's a that's actually a good thing for the community. In, in our town, what does um, affordable mean anymore? You know what I mean? Because well, I mean, like, 
everything's gotten so crazy. I know. You know. I don't even know what the number, what affordable means anymore. Well, there's a there's a formula. It's based on income. You know, what the ever a certain percentage, uh, what the average income is for the area. There's a whole formula that that's worked out. So, and there's there's low income. There's affordable. There's workforce. There's all kinds of definitions, and all those mean different things. <laughs> I know. It's a little confusing, but okay. yeah, it's a little confusing, but. Um, but in 2016 is when we, um, um, when there was a real wake-up call, when we had our first um, uh, uh, problems with our underground infrastructure. And uh, in 2017, it really came to light when uh, we had a major sewer break in the in the Tarpon River area, and uh, it was it was uh, really disgusting that uh, we experienced that, and we realized. That for years these uh, these infrastructure needs were being overlooked, neglected, and that's when the, the community rose up rightfully and said, "Hey, what are we doing here? Where are the priorities of this community?" And what we were noticing was that the administration at that time was siphoning off twenty million dollars a year from the water and sewer fund to pay for other expenses to mm -hmm. balance the budget and so forth. And honestly, most of it went to pay for the big union contracts that they promised to police and fire you. Right. We had uh, between the years 2013 and 2018, that five-year period, the the um, the um, compensation packages for the for police and fire went up 25 percent. That's unheard of in any municipality. And they were able to extract that money. They just pulled it right out because they just wanted to. They, because the majority of the commission said, "Hey, you know, we need to make sure that." You know the unions are taken care of, and uh, and don't worry, the infrastructure is okay. But obviously, it wasn't okay, and it definitely wasn't a priority for people back then. It wasn't a priority, but now, um, so so when when that rupture took place at Tarpon River, we realized that uh, I realized that we needed to turn uh, turn things around and, and change course. The commission did not. You know, I was voted down uh, four to one on the budget. And uh, that was when I began my rallying call and made the decision to run for mayor because I realized that real change needed to happen in the city. And so in 2018, uh, I ran for mayor and uh, the people uh, heard my voice and listened to my message and I heard their voice and listened to their message. And together we agreed that that's the new priority for the city. So, um, so with that in mind, we continue to work forward in that regard. Uh, Unfortunately, the city manager was a holdover for the first year that we that this new commission was in, was uh, re, was elected. Right. So we suffered with his administration for the first year that we were in office. He ref, he refused to he refused to undo that what they call return on investment or ROI. He wanted to keep pulling the twenty million dollars out. So um, so in one of our early meetings, in one of our early meetings. Uh, that's the, that's the former city manager. <laughs> in one of our early meetings, we said to the city manager, well, we want you to um, start reducing the return on investment. And you know what his answer to us was? I wouldn't know where to spend the money. Meaning, yeah, exactly. Uh, he said we'd have to reduce water rates because we have plenty of money for the, um, for the infrastructure. We really do not need to, uh, to, uh, um, to reduce the return on investment. So I thought, you know, this this isn't making sense. This is not working. And finally, one a third commissioner agreed. And so at the end of that first year, we were in office. 
uh, we changed administration and we have a new city manager. And uh, with the new city manager, uh, we, we were able to start a new program starting to focus on the infrastructure. Unfortunately, the past caught up with us before we could get to it, mm -hmm. and uh, and thus we had the sewer breaks. Yeah, yeah. The um, the people inside the city once once the administration started to change a little bit, were you able to see? Um, you know, were you able to see, were you able to make that priority about infrastructure? Um, well, the whole commission, were able to spread it. You know, the whole, able to the make whole it commission, yes, the whole commission was convinced that infrastructure was a priority, and uh, in our in our priority goal setting session that year in 2019, it was in uh, February or March. Um, infrastructure was right there at the top. And previously, um, would people bring it up, and then it would just get overvoted or foo fooed well, or ignored? It was. It was. Um, the administration said to us that uh, we were fully funded. Um, the projects that need to get addressed were taken care of, and we don't need to worry about it. And we can still take the twenty million dollars out. So, what happened was, when that sewer break took place in twenty seventeen, okay, um, the uh, the uh, I think it was the end of twenty sixteen, early part of twenty seventeen, uh, the state came came. To us and said hey you know what are you guys doing you know you're screwing up the environment you're you know you're not taking care of what you need to be taking care of so we um we were we are now laboring under a consent order okay so we were given 10 years in which to accomplish a certain number of repairs and replacements okay gotcha. and so the city commission said okay we have 10 years we're going to borrow 200 million dollars i said why are we borrowing 200 million dollars we already have the money and, uh, and, and where do we have the money? If you stop taking the $20 million out every year and you multiply that times 10, since we had 10 years to do the, uh, to comply with the consent order, there's the money. Right. Why burden the community with $200 million worth of debt when we already have the money in our account? And, but I was voted down and because they needed to continue to fund the labor union contracts. And as a result, we are now saddled with $200 million worth of debt that we could have completely um, uh, eliminated if we had done it the right way. Gotcha. I think it's important that you, that you told that story, and I'll tell you why. is Because since the sewage spills, you see how emotional this has gotten yeah. for everybody. And they're very quick, because it's emotional, to take it out on the sitting mayor or the person that's in, right. in office now. And when it first happened, that was my kind of first response. And then... Um, I learned over a, a long time that being a hothead um, never puts me in the right position. So what my goal was, was to sit back and say, okay, let me learn a little bit about our city leaders, where they're, what they're trying to do, mm -hmm. and then also try to communicate that with the people that are very concerned that are so emotional in the, in the city itself, which is why that protest thing um, really worked well because – when we did the protest, it wasn't like we were fighting anybody. It was more about, hey, is this going to be a priority? Right. You know, and how are we going to do it? Now, obviously, since then, we've seen crazy amounts of construction going on as far as putting in the big pipes and right. stuff. So you obviously got a decent grip on putting it, the infrastructure back together. Am I correct in saying so? Absolutely. Um, in terms of 
uh, in terms of what happened in uh, in Rio Vista and George English Park back in 2018, uh, the the situation was obviously extremely grave, and uh, um, and then uh, and then in 2019, at the end of 2019, in December, when we had that huge rupture, that was when uh, you know we realized that uh, that the situation had gotten totally out of hand. So while we had a lot of projects scheduled to be taken care of, and we had uh, ironically very that very week that pipe was scheduled to be replaced. It broke, it broke in multiple uh, locations. And, um, and so we realized that uh, in December of 2019 that we needed to change course and be more aggressive about doing the, uh, the, the pipe replacement. And uh, so the commission uh, approved another bond issue. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and what was supposed to have taken three or four years to, to correct, we're doing it in less than one year. Nice. Uh, we have about 35% of the... Uh, we have about 35% of the uh, of the project done already. By the end of September, 50% will be done, and hopefully by the end of the year, the balance of it will be done. So a seven and a half mile force main, mm -hmm. which will be a redundant system. After which, we when we build it, we'll then go back to the original pipe, reline it. There's a technology where you can line the pipe, and uh, and that'll be a secondary uh, pipe that, in case there is a rupture because of a uh, of a uh, let's say a, you know the other day a contractor broke through a sewer pipe mm -hmm. uh, i'm not sure if it was an electrical company or some company hired a private contractor and broke in a sewer pipe right on 15th street um right, right. just yeah. in case it didn't sting bad enough right exactly so the seminole river unfortunately was the uh was the victim there but the point is that um the city is continuing to work aggressively, and not just on sewer infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We're working uh, on rebuilding our water treatment plant. Five Ash has long since outlived its useful life. Um, the previous administration was just patching it here and there to many millions of dollars. We weren't really getting anywhere. So now, because of rising sea level, we have to um, anticipate the, uh, the uh, penetration of salt water into our aquifer. Mm -hmm. So we have to um, anticipate, you know, how far we can, how deep we have to go in inland to uh, to retrieve our water. In working with the county, uh, we're told that our current well fields are safe for the next thirty to forty years, and um, and so, but we do need to to change the location of our water treatment plant, which we're going to do. We're going to put it at the end of the runway, which is where the well fields are at the executive airport, and uh, and hopefully be built to new technologies, more efficient uh, um, processing techniques, as well as, uh, as well as to be able to withstand a Category 5 hurricane. Right now, if we ever had Hurricane Dorian hit us, right. we'd be dead. Okay. All right. So, and you feel like you got a really good grip on that at this point. We're moving forward aggressively, and uh, we've met with uh, three contractors already um, who have made proposals to the city. So uh, a decision is going to be made within the next 90 to 120 days. All right. Well, let's bring it up all the way up to the last few weeks. Because sure. um, I was really glad that you took the boat ride around Fort Lauderdale, you know, just to discuss, you know, water quality, things that we can and can't do. Um, when we took that boat ride, what, what did you get out of it? Well, it reminded me. It's I'm you know I I go on the waterways from time to time. Usually I try to find a friend that has a boat. And, uh, Good thinking. And uh, um, and 
you know, it, I, it reminded me of how bad our water really is. Um, back in uh, 2016, uh, we started to see uh, algae blooms materializing in our canals. I had never really seen that in Fort Lauderdale. Right. And, um, uh, and so we contacted the county and asked the county to do some testing on the water. And uh, they came back with some uh, pretty disgusting results. And, uh, um, and we brought it to the attention of the city commission. I brought it to the attention when, at one of the meetings. And uh, they found every excuse to uh, dismiss everything I was saying. And uh, I said, here, it's from the county. I didn't do it myself. I said, the county. And they said, there's nothing wrong with our water. This is just a typical natural occurrence. And, uh, and it will happen from time to time. It happens out west in Weston, which no one ever talks about that, if it really does, does happen. And, um, and I said, but folks, I said, we have a problem here in Fort Lauderdale. Just try to put your foot in the water and see if you can see it after two feet. You know, right. There's no visibility in our waterways, especially on places like the Himmershe Canal and the Seminole River and the southern islands of Las Olas, where there's there's no flushing action. It's just very stagnant. Stagnant water, right. And uh, I said, we really need to um, focus on how we're going to um, replenish the, the quality of water, both for marine life as well as recreational use. Mm -hmm. um, I would not want to go in the water in those areas because the water is, is just not suitable for use. And I said, a, a boat can go on it, but you, but you know, this is Fort Lauderdale. This is supposed to be the place where people come to recreate in, in the water. And yet you don't even want to, you don't even, it smells, right. you know, no. and you don't really, you, how would you even think of, you know, diving in there or walking around in there or swimming in there? I said, and luckily our oceans are clean. Our oceans are pretty pristine for the most part. Um, there was one moment when we had, we almost thought we had a red tide scare, but it didn't really materialize. But the point is that this is our lifeblood. Water is the lifeblood of the city of Fort Lauderdale. Correct. And, um, and if we don't appreciate that and respect it and preserve it, then we're only uh, hurting ourselves in many ways. Um, and so it's uh, focused going forward. And should I be reelected? My goal is to um, increase the amount of, of testing we do. In fact, uh, last, last night we talked about hiring a company that will, um, instead of testing on a quarterly basis, will be mm -hmm. testing every week in several areas to ensure water quality. And, uh, um, and we're also, we've also engaged um, since the, the break in Rio Vista, we've engaged two companies to start um, making attempts to aerate the water and help purify the water and uh, moving forward with, with a, uh, a, not a dredging process, but like a skimming process that uh, will at least take the uh, visible debris off the, uh, the river tops and, and the areas that were most affected, at least get the process started. What, um, well, first of all, are you aware that other people are doing testing like the Surfrider Foundation came in and did some testing uh -huh. and then some individual citizens are doing testing? Right. Is there any communication between the city and those individual tests? Is there any way you can take advantage of those tests? We are communicating with each other and Very we appreciate good. the work that they are doing. Um, we have a city staff that uh, um, sometimes doesn't appreciate the work that these organizations can do for us. Uh, to me, the more the merrier, the more people that are involved. How, how, what do you mean they, they don't elaborate? Like, how does that work? How could they not like that? Well, I'll give you an example. Okay. 
Um, let's say uh, the water quality in Fort Lauderdale in one particular week, let's say the Middle River, okay, okay it comes up with a higher level of, of uh, coliform that uh, would suggest you shouldn't go in the water. So the word gets out, you know, Fort Lauderdale has dirty water. But there's no saying that Pompano Beach doesn't have the same quality. Oh, or, it's horrible. Or anywhere, right? Aventure so, is the, horrible. So All they, these places, horrible. Okay, so, okay, so <laughs> they're afraid that if Fort Lauderdale is doing testing and Pompano Beach isn't doing testing, then the word is going to be out that Fort Lauderdale has dirty water and they're going to run to Pompano, even though they have the same dirty water, but no one's advertising it. So that's the mentality. Okay. Kind of bizarre. To me, if we have bad water, then that's the call to start doing what we need to do to clean it up. Right. All right. So in particular, the Middle River, I, I think uh, most experts are saying that the water is now much cleaner than before the break because there probably was a slow seepage of sewage as a result of the broken pipe. Right. So, um, and since we've now corrected that, we're seeing that area um, develop much cleaner water. Um, are we creating a fish life? Not yet, but uh, that's the goal. In well, fact, in well, fact well, I'm think, sorry. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think, I think you're doing it right. Fundamentally, first, you quit poisoning the water with the sewage, then, Look for ways to encourage wildlife and start to rehab the thing. What's your what's what's your favorite idea as far as rehabbing the waterways? Well, we met. Uh, there are different approaches to rehabbing the waterways. Uh, your personal favorite? What do you okay. like? Well, we met with some folks this week who have uh, introduced a process uh, to begin to uh, aerate the water to um, to uh, create an effervescent process so that so that the uh, the debris and the impurities start to bubble up to the top and from which we could skim the, the top and start to physically remove um, particulate matter that, uh, that forms within the uh, waterways. That's one approach. But then to draw wildlife and to create uh, natural habitats for wildlife, um, I know we had discussed uh, uh, vegetation along along the uh, property owners waterway those that front those who have repairing rights along the waterway try to um, bring together a program that would incentivize people to to put uh, sea grape uh, um, sea grape mangroves right and, man, and mangrove plants um, and that to me not only does it not only does it work to enhance wildlife growth but it also looks nicer. Right. Yeah. It's very nice. It's very looking. pretty. It looks tropical. It looks like, you know, you you've it looks like you've moved to Florida. If you look at the beach right now, we have more concrete, glass and asphalt than we have sand. Exactly. Okay. So what kind of a beach is that? You know? So I want to get away from that. I want to create a more natural feeling for our community. And 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 part of that is actually uh, making its way into our downtown master plan. Um, our downtown master plan for building uh, new buildings has always been, you know, build up to the edge of the of the street. You know, don't leave any room other than for a sidewalk. And and there's absolutely no there's no way you can put uh, canopy trees along the, the boulevards. So we're changing that. We're moving the buildings back now um, for any new construction, so that when you move the buildings back, you create that that area where you can you can plant canopy trees so that when you walk downtown, you actually have a shade tree that you're walking under. Right. And you can, and right now we're planning to do a, uh, what's called a one-way circulator going up third Avenue down Andrews 
from Sunrise down to 17th Street Causeway. That was the root of the original WAVE project, which luckily we got rid of. Okay. And uh, uh, but this is what we're going to do is going to create a one-way pathway up and back, and uh, um, it'll be uh, three car lanes, a dedicated um, mass transit uh, lane, a bike lane, a sidewalk, and a large um, area for canopy trees. Gotcha. I'd love to see you know, Third Avenue, Northeast Third Avenue, completely lined with flowering trees, you know, like you see in other cities. This is what attracts people to the, to the, to yeah. our area. Well, tree, I mean, the tree thing is my favorite. And the reason it's my favorite is because in my opinion, it's the most practical. I think it's the most cost effective. I think it looks great. I think the wildlife loves it. I think it'll help filter the sewage and nutrients. They call it out of the water. And we don't have to do any science. We know this stuff. It's fact. What is that? What the science behind it? Yeah. The science behind it is that mangrove trees eat the nutrients that are in the water. Right. They help filter the water. They help shade the water. If the shade gets the temperatures down, so the algae has a can't can't live in that environment. Well, it, they definitely the warmer the water, it accelerates the algae. Right, exactly. So that's why I mean I think trees are just a no brainer, and most importantly. Trees grow by themselves. No city official, no city landscaper has to worry about them. They will take care of their own. Same with oysters. Works. Same with oysters. Right? Now, since you brought up the oysters, yeah. wasn't it incredible how little oyster growth could could, could, could germinate in that our was, waterways? That was actually. Yeah, Mike out. Lambrecht, who uh, initiated that program. Right. I mean, God bless him, but, uh, uh, you know. Our waterways are poisoning, right? So, um, so that to me is it's it, it it really you know it hurts me to think that you know what we've done to to decimate uh, our waterways. So, so in response to your question, that's a focus that's a focus for this commission. We've talked about it uh, multiple times, and uh, it's it's definitely a front burner item for this commission. Nice, nice. Look at um. I think we can we can kind of wrap it up if you like, but before we get um, before we get going, um, got an election year this year. There's a lot of people with a lot of emotions running, kind of crazy. Right. What type of encouragement you give the audience in Fort Lauderdale, moving forward with you at the helm, and um, getting this waterway system where at least it looks good and smells good and people, you know, can, can enjoy it more? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have a challenge of COVID-19 and that, that overrides just about everything. But there's a way to make the, the efforts to try to minimize the risk and get people back on their feet and back to work. There's a way to bring in a lot of the things we talked about um, into the process of of rebuilding Fort Lauderdale, and and what I'm saying is that all right. So we're looking for we're looking to ensure that people remain safe. We're looking to ensure that uh, there's social distancing and that and that people um, uh, wear face masks and so forth. And um, and we are going to we are going to succeed in that. We already started to succeed. And uh, as of today, we started the uh, rapid antigen testing here in Holiday Park. Um, 15 minutes in and out, you, uh, you get your test results. And, um, and this is a major milestone for our community. In fact, nowhere else in the county that I'm aware of 
was able to land this testing site. And, um, and the reason why that's important is because when you do contact tracing, you know immediately if you have it or don't have it. And you, if you have it, you can say, well, I was here, I was visiting with these people, I was at this person's house, I was at this restaurant, and we can follow through and say exactly where this person contracted the disease. But going forward, um, we have to revive the economy. Uh, we are a tourist-based economy, and we need to think about how we can still remain safe and still get people back to work. We cannot allow people to continue to stay home month after month, collecting a government check and think that that's sustainable. It just is not. It's not fiscally, it's not economically, and it's not emotionally stable. So the idea here is to uh, find ways that we can um, rejuvenate the, the environment. And there are, there are projects that we can uh, follow through with during the COVID crisis that are safe and that, that achieve the kind of results that we've talked about uh, today in order to try to rejuvenate the wildlife and the, and the, whole, um, the whole ecological spectrum that we are trying to address here in our city. So I think there are, there are challenges with the virus, but there are also opportunities. And I think that, uh, that we can make them both work and before a vaccine is finally uh, um, uh, discovered and, uh, and implemented uh, community-wide. Um, I wanna see our city succeed, and I know we're going to. Okay, anything that you'd like to say to this fishy audience that we have, the water lovers of, of, of South Florida, um, any, anything you'd like to say that we didn't go over? Well, um, first of all, it's great that we have a, a very successful and robust fishing uh, community. Um, I see the boats out there uh, and the barrier island people who take their own boats out, who rent uh, fishing boats. And, uh, uh, and I know that it's a community that uh, is very connected and, and very concerned about uh, the environment. And uh, I want them to be assured that uh, this government and certainly me as mayor um, find that to be a priority in our community to ensure that 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 um, that hobby or that business of fishing is never taken away from you um, uh, I just think that uh, you know this is part of Fort Lauderdale and uh, and if we ever find ourselves you know encroaching upon that opportunity then uh, then shame on us that we've taken that away from people and, uh, and it's a wonderful family opportunity. It's a wonderful friendship opportunity. And, uh, and guess what? It's a great economic opportunity for our city. So, um, so we're very uh, bullish on trying to move forward on, on these, uh, on these uh, choices that we have and trying to improve our waterways. And, uh, and those are the kinds of things I intend to do in my next term, should I be elected. That's awesome, Dean. One of the things I think was uh, something that um, I'm big into is leading by example. And by you coming in here, coming into my studio in the backyard of my house, talking to the people of Fort Lauderdale that listen to this type of podcast is a step in the right direction. And I think by you leading by example, I think you can show that um, your priorities are a little different than they've been. And I just want to thank you. Sure. Well, thank uh, you for having me. It's really been nice. And, uh, you know, we got to work together. America only succeeds when we work together. And and Fort Lauderdale is is very much a part of America, and uh, uh, you know we we will only succeed when we know that we can 
one day again walk arm in arm with each other. And, uh, and I know that Fort Lauderdale is going to stand out against all the rest of the cities in the state. Oh, great. It's great having you. And um, Dean, run that dog, pal. Thank you.